0: Deep in the hundred acre wood where Christopher Robin plays, you'll find the enchanted neighborhood of sequels, (laughs) spinoffs, and remakes. A donkey named Eeyore is his friend. And Kanga and Little Roo. There's Rabbit and Piglet.
1: And there's Owl. But
0: most (laughs) of all, Casty the Pod.
1: Why did you decide you had to shout the part about Owl?
0: Because in the movie, they put so much more emphasis <laughs> on that part and I've never understood it. It's like, don't forget about me. Anyway, I, I've always thought that's funny. Just the, and there's out Like for me, that's like the, the joke we always make about Moana where it's like, consider the coconut the what? Exactly. I don't know why Owl will get such a big introduction. I'm He's the least interesting character in every version of this. Hey, mom. Hmm? Uh, I was thinking of maybe going to the pool this weekend. Oh. Yeah, I need you to pack my sunscreen and mm-hmm. uh, uh, maybe some pool toys and a towel.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So this is what you've been doing all day, thinking of these horrible <laughs> jokes.
0: No, I've been watching 18 Disney Tunes movies. Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> And welcome back to Me, Mom and the Mouse, a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family. And there's Owl. We're watching (laughs) every film in the Disney anime canon and talking about how it was made, what it means and why we love it or don't. My name is Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined, as always, by my mother, Rue Coleman, and there's Owl. How are you doing today, Mom? Hello, I am doing just fine. (laughs) And, in addition to you and Owl, we want to give a special shout-out to our editor, Brad Murray at Oak Studios. Thanks for all the work you do, although you're not in the book, we know. (laughs) This week on the program, we are continuing Disney's Bronze Era with 1977's The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, directed by Wolfgang Reitherman. Yep, I always feel like you should keep going after that because we had so many movies directed by many people. Directed by Wolfgang Reitherman. Wolfgang Reitherman. Actually, I realize here, I'm sorry, Hmm? I did make a slight mistake because technically this is listed as being directed by John Lounsbury and Wolfgang Reitherman. Uh, Because John Lounsbury directed Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2. And he would go on to direct The Rescuers, which also came out in 77. Uh, And I think those are the only two interesting things that happened in 1977. Oh, sure. Well, of course, Star Wars, uh, you know, was a big (laughs) deal.
1: Release of Star Wars and uh, nothing else, though, other Mm -hmm, than that. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nothing that, you know, is uh, important for your life.
0: (laughs) No, I I wouldn't say. Well, Star Wars is actually very important to my life, as is this movie. (laughs) Yes.
1: It is also the year of my birth. Oh, really? Uh, Well, you're not Star
0: Wars, so (laughs) that sucks for you. But uh, what
1: does this movie, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, mean to you? I have always, this has always been one of my favorite. I love this movie. We didn't have a pre-recorded VHS when I was growing up, but we must have had some sort of recording, whether we had, you know, the individual featurettes or, you know, just the whole thing recorded off of tv or i'm not even sure exactly how we had it but i have definitely seen this one a lot also i own all of the books which i love very much that i bought for myself at the disney store there you go (laughs) and obviously this is i mean the a.a Milne books not you know just disney books based on their own things (laughs) Uh, i know we owned the vhs when you were little and watched it a lot but I can't remember not knowing about Winnie the Pooh. Yep. I think my mom had the books as well. She may have had, a, she had a different collection than I have, but I she had a collection that I would read when I was little.
0: There you go. Um, this movie has also been one of my longtime favorite Disney films. Mm-hmm. Disney properties, dare I say, in a very cynical way, uh, because this is a huge franchise. Yeah. Winnie the Pooh is, in fact disney's most popular character in terms of revenue numbers winnie the pooh over mickey mouse he is second place to the bear of very little brain yeah in terms of how much money he makes for the disney company
1: well and when you were little they were some of the first stuffed animals you had yes you had the little winnie the pooh and a larger tigger that you had even when you were a baby because this is a deliberate choice that they made in the
0: 90s i believe To, i mean he's always been targeted at a younger audience but in the 90s they were like this is our uh franchise primarily for like baby through seven like something Mm -hmm. like that like for younger kids yeah so yeah they they get you young with with winnie the pooh but you know all this all this talk about licensing aside and we do have to talk about licensing in the huge franchise Mm -hmm. like Winnie the Pooh has always meant a lot to me. And this movie especially is probably the best incarnation of the character. I did read the books. I don't
1: remember them very well. You are a book expert on this episode. They actually stayed fairly true to the stories in the book that they used for this movie. Some of the stuff is direct quotes. It's not 100% the same, but it's very similar. But I I love it a lot. we'll, you know, talk about the relationship throughout. But this is just pure
0: comfort food. This movie is a delight. It's my favorite of the bronze era.
1: It's great. It's soft and it's cozy and it's comfy. It is. It's probably my favorite of the bronze era, too. I hadn't really thought about it. Robin Hood's the close second. Robin Hood's very good. Uh, We'll have to see when we get to the end how I feel about everything. But this one's way up there.
0: I mean, for me, this is my favorite of the Disney movies we've seen thus far, except for Sleeping Beauty. That's how high it is for me.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: This is this feels like one of mine in the way, you know, obviously you love it, too. But like in the way that Sword and the Stone and Sleeping Beauty are like, those are your faves. You own so much stuff like, yeah, this feels like that for me. It's a it's a very special set of characters. And yeah, we are going to talk about all the franchise stuff, so expect that segment to be a lot longer than normal, (laughs) because let me get this out of the way. The Winnie the Pooh Disney franchise consists of six theatrical releases, nine direct-to-video releases, seven short films, not counting the three that are part of this movie, four TV shows, 19 video game appearances two albums of original Kenny Loggins music, one novel, one dedicated magazine, two theme park rides, and a Broadway adaptation coming out this year. We're not going to be able to cover all that stuff, but we'll try to cover it. But first, let's talk a little bit about the
1: making of this movie. This movie, of course, is a package film. We haven't had any of those for a while, but that's what this movie is. It's basically they made three separate shorts and they combined them into the movie. So Minnie, the Pooh and the honey tree came out in 1966. Winnie the Pooh and the blustery day came out in 1968 and Winnie the Pooh and Tigger two came out in 1974 when they put them together, they just made a little bit of in between each episode stuff to tie them together. And then they added that ending chapter the, in which we come to the end and say goodbye that was not in any of those other three.
0: Yes, and certain releases of this movie on home video include also a 1983 short that was made in the very desperate Disney 80s that we will soon get to. Yeah. They made another one called Winnie the Pooh and a Day for Eeyore that is weird. It isn't as good. (laughs) Uh, And sometimes that's included with this movie. We're not talking about that one. It's not part of the original movie. It's not part of... Any release that we had, but it does technically exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did want to talk about the movies that these shorts were paired with because they so beautifully do not exist. (laughs) Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree was paired with The Ugly Dachshund. That one's on Disney Plus. I'm sure all of these are. The Blustery Day Actually, I don't know if they all are, but yeah. The Blustery Day was paired with The Horse in the Gray Flannel Suit. Uh Uh-huh. And Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2 was paired with the island at the top of the world, (laughs) which is just so indicative of the Disney late 60s, early 70s live action output, where it's all these awful movies, by and large, or at least very mediocre. And all of the titles (laughs) are like the usual noun. But there's something different about it. Like the millionaire, who's the happiest? (laughs) The computer who wears tennis shoes. (sighs) I uh, preemptively apologize to my grandmother who listens to this podcast and who's almost certainly going to text us being like, I've seen all three of these movies. They're actually good. You should
1: watch them. Maybe, maybe they are. I have seen at least two of them. I can't recall if I've seen Island at the top of the world, but I've seen the other two and they both star Dean Jones.
0: (laughs) But I think these shorts that people clearly really liked and really took to were paired with these movies to help them help them exist. That didn't really work because people remember these shorts. And by and large, people, especially people who are not alive at the time, will not remember these movies.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that they were originally thinking of doing Winnie the Pooh as a feature length film, and then Walt decided because people in the United States are not very familiar with Winnie the Pooh. Can you even imagine it? Right. (laughs) People in this country, not knowing who Winnie the Pooh was. So they decide, he decided they should break it into three parts and have each one come out separately to kind of introduce people to Winnie the Pooh, get them to like him and then put all the parts together for a feature film later. Of course he died you know, before they were able to finish it because he died in 66 when the first one came out. He did help, you know, work a little bit on the second one, the Blustery Day. But that's why there's probably such a gap between Blustery Day in 68 and Tigger 2 in 74 because they were being like, you know, can we get this done? (laughs) Right. And so even just from the release of the first short, To the release of the feature length movie is 11 years
0: and uh, blustery day won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. Yeah. And this was seen in part as let's posthumously give an award to Walt because we didn't really give him, you know, the respect he deserved during his his actual time alive. And there was no, of course, people may not know, animated feature category at the Oscars. That did not exist until 2000
1: mm-hmm.
0: when Shrek was the first movie to win it, which <laughs> is just, just great, great, great for history.
1: Just shows how the Academy Awards haven't meant anything for a long time. The first two shorts, of course, have music
0: by the Sherman Brothers. And it's so Sherman Brothersy. It is. And not the third one which I hadn't really thought about the fact that the third one doesn't have a Sherman Brothers songs. Except for the Tigger one, yeah. Reusing the Tigger song from the last short. But that's, of course, because they left uh, during
1: the making of Aristocats because they Mm -hmm. didn't like how they were treated in 1970. That's why there's a whole bunch of songs for the first two segments. Each of them has five songs and then there's no new songs for the third segment at all. But you don't think about it when you're watching them all together.
0: No, weirdly, you don't. I do want to back up a little bit and talk about where Winnie the Pooh comes from. Mm -hmm. The Hundred Acre Wood. Tee hee hee. (laughs) Comes from two books by A.A. Milne, which I believe one is called Winnie the Pooh and one is called The House of Pooh Corner. Is that correct? That is correct. He also wrote two other books, two other children's books that feature several stories, some of which are Winnie the Pooh, but they're not uh, Winnie the Pooh exclusive. Those other two books are just
1: books of poems.
0: Right. But they do include these characters. Yes. Yes. When we were very young and now we are six.
1: The actual release order is when we were very young was first and then the two Pooh books and then now we are six. And these mostly
0: came from watching his son, whose name really was Christopher Robin, playing with his toys and wanting to adapt that into books. And I think that's very important for this series Mm -hmm. is that it is, you know, a child's Perception of playing with toys. And that's why, like, you're mixing all these different types of toys together. And it's very much a child's understanding of, like, what is a mother like? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And
0: also, there's one live rabbit involved Mm -hmm. with all the stuffed (laughs) animals, which I always enjoy in all of the various Winnie the Pooh things, how Rabbit is always animated like a live rabbit. Yeah. uh, Unlike the others. But what's interesting about this is that, so as you say, these were a big phenomenon in England. And There were a ton of toys and a ton of merchandising uh, that Milne did in England, and it was a big character there. People accused Disney of kind of commercializing Winnie the Pooh for better or worse. That was always
1: part of it. (laughs) Yeah. And it helped that when they were originally published, they had the artwork by E.H. Shepard, who made the iconic, you know, images in the book, all the books that just made children fall in love with it.
0: A part of the story that I think is interesting is a guy named Steven Sleisinger. Have you heard of this man? I I don't know. The last name is familiar. (laughs) Steven Slicinger is one of the most important people ever to work in media because he essentially invented the concept of licensing and merchandising as we know it today. That was him. He was a (laughs) pioneer in something... That I guess somebody had to be a pioneer in. Yep. And his biggest get was acquiring sole and exclusive U.S. and Canadian merchandising, television recording and other trade rights to Winnie the Pooh, which he worked on for more than 30 years. So he really helped make it a thing in the United States, Mm -hmm. make it a known character. And Disney actually had to get the rights from him. Uh, And when Milne's widow died, she left all of the rights to Winnie the Pooh to the Slicingers. After she died, she did not want any family showing up Mm -hmm. to claim the inheritance. That's how uh, estranged they were. So what's interesting about this is that, of course, Disney gets the rights to make movies and eventually other things from Slicinger, and they start making a bunch of merchandise. They make a bunch of other stuff. Uh, of course, they start selling toys based on their version of the movie and they start doing all the other franchise things we were just talking about to the point that the uh, Slicingers company, because of course he was dead, mm-hmm. ended up suing Disney because they're like, hey, you're not giving us a big enough cut mm-hmm. relative to <laughs> how much you're making off of this character. There was a long court case and then in 2009, a
1: court ruled in this case that Disney legally owned Winnie the Pooh. Wow. I'm surprised because usually Disney loses.
0: Right. And the case was not decided like, oh, we will give the rights to Disney. The case was decided that actually Disney has always owned these rights, which (laughs) is not true. But when you're the largest entertainment company in the world and you can straight up buy laws, Mm -hmm. that's what happens. Somewhere in U.S. copyright law, there's like a paragraph of text that's like the Pooh law. That's like <laughs> you own the rights to a character if you've made eight movies about it and your name is the Walt Disney Corporation. Like that's <laughs> just a just a wild wild story. And like I say, it shows that uh, for better or worse, Pooh has always been tied up in merchandising. And yeah, as you say, I mean, this is a package film. Mm -hmm. It has all of our Disney all stars in it. Obviously, Sterling Holloway in the role he's best known for. Yes. John Fiedler, who's a character actor who pops up in a lot of things. And you'll always notice him because you're like, that's Piglet. Mm hmm. One of the jurors in 12 Angry Men is just Piglet. (laughs) What's Piglet doing there? Because he really is a great actor, live action and voice. We have Barbara Luddy as Kanga in what I believe is her last role. Yes. Nice to get her in there. We have Junius Matthews, Archimedes himself, back as Rabbit. We have Hal Smith, who is best known as Otis Campbell on The Andy Griffith Show, as Owl. And of course, we have Paul Winchell, who is technically in The Aristocats, but don't worry about it, as (laughs) Tigger. And Paul Winchell is a very interesting guy. Yeah. He was an actor, comedian, humanitarian, inventor, He also was a radio ventriloquist. (laughs) He was in a number of Emmy Award winning television shows. Uh, He was the original voice of Dick Dastardly, the original voice of Gargamel. He was the first person to build and patent an artificial heart. Interesting.
1: He's a busy man.
0: He did a lot of humanitarian
1: efforts. He tried to
0: help with hunger in Africa. He's a fascinating figure. I will say if you look him up, He also had a sad life to a certain extent. He had a very, very bad childhood and it gave him lifelong depression and mental health issues. And so uh, that is that is a very unfortunate part of his story. And we have to bring it up now because it's going to come back in sequel spinoffs. But uh, Paul Winchell, you know, despite his his illness, was a great guy and one of the things that cracks me up is that he is one of uh, a very few people in this movie who is actually doing a voice. He did not sound like Tigger. And I just imagine him like chilling with everyone else backstage and he's like, you know, oh, so how did you guys figure out your voices? And Sterling Holloway be <laughs> just being like, voices like <laughs> that's- <laughs> that's-
1: uh, John Figler being like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Ralph Wright, that they picked to do Eeyore, he was just one of the animators that everybody was like, oh, you have a great deep voice. We want you to do Eeyore. Right. (laughs) Come and record for us. We think your voice is perfect. He just talked like that. Exactly.
0: And then Sebastian Cabot, of course, is the narrator, which uh, we've talked about him previously as well. He does so, so good as the narrator. I just, I could just listen to him talk for all day. A master of narration, as we discussed, the narrator in so many different things, uh, including Sword in the Stone, where he also plays a character. Yeah. Uh, And then the kids are voiced by different people in different shorts, Rue and Christopher Robin. Uh, But I do have to call out once again, one of the voices of Rue was Clint Howard. It's just very funny to me. And one of the voices of Christopher Robin was Bruce Reitherman, because by God, Woolly was going to get (laughs) two checks every time he could. He's like,
1: hey, you know who could be Christopher Robin? Bruce. He was in this one before he was in as Mowgli. There you go. So I will say something I saw, something I was reading, made it sound like John Walmsley actually re-recorded the dialogue for Christopher Robin for the first segment to make it sound more so for Winnie the Pooh and the honey tree to make it sound more similar, then I couldn't find any confirmation of that. But that may be why when we were watching, you were saying this doesn't really sound like Mowgli, maybe, but I just assumed when we were watching it, it was because he's actually a little older when he's doing Mowgli's voice and it had changed enough. That's what I assumed, too. I'm not sure. So I'm not sure if the version we watched who was doing the voice of Christopher Robin in that first segment. The third segment has to be a different voice because it sounds so different. Yeah, everything I saw didn't because, of course, by that point, John Walmsley's voice would have changed by the time, you know, this whole movie was put together. But it seemed to me like when they were having him do Christopher Robin for the second segment, they also had him re-record the dialogue from the first one is what I thought I saw. But anyway, I don't know. Uh, And so, of course, the reason this
0: was released as a package film is the same reason Disney always released a package film, which is like, this is cheap. Yeah. We have no money. Let's just
1: poop it out. (laughs) But at least it was originally the plan, right? It was originally the plan to make this as a package film. You know, you can tell they definitely were being a little cheaper on the. interstitials (laughs) oh yeah the the new the last scene
0: especially i i hadn't really been thinking about it that much before this but it looks quite a bit worse uh and the they didn't try to record the voices in the same environment for the interstitials Uh, we'll talk about all that stuff in fact let's talk about it now
1: we start the movie the opening credits it's a live action child's room with all the stuffed animals around.
0: And all of the shorts started with the same live action yeah. intro and outro that closes this one. So the live action opening of the book
1: opening and the uh, live action ending where mm-hmm. Pooh winks. And it's just orchestral music of, the, of all the songs from the... You know the Winnie the Pooh song and some of the others.
0: Not a Bruns score. We're done with Bruns. Very, very sorry to say. Although the score for this is not bad. It was done by uh, Buddy Baker. Buddy Baker, (laughs) who also did the score for several other Disney movies, Mm -hmm. uh, including we'll talk about him again with Fox and the Hound. Mm -hmm. Yay!
1: Yay! At least we don't have to do that one next.
0: I also do like that Sterling Holloway and Paul Winchell get their own separate credits. All the voice actors are credited, but they get specifically Sterling Holloway uh, because this is his last contribution to Disney and obviously what a role to go out on. It's it's what he's best known for. Seeing it at the end of his run, you really can appreciate what a performance it is, even though it is just his voice. He sounded like that. Mm-hmm. Again, we've talked about how like Cheshire Cat, he can be very sinister and Ka he can be you know, scary and all these different things. And so, like, he's not just Winnie the Pooh, even though that's what he will be associated with forever. And it it makes you appreciate the Winnie the Pooh performance more. So do we want to do
1: favorite shorts or favorite scenes? Because I have two different answers. Well, my favorite of the shorts is Winnie the Pooh and the blustery day. My favorite is the honey tree. OK. My favorite scene is in the blustery day one. So my favorite scene is also in blustery day. My favorite scene is the heffalumps and woozles section. Same. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That is my favorite
0: single scene. But I think that the honey tree is just like it's nonstop songs. It's nonstop jokes. It has several of my favorite parts, basically just everything except that one. Uh, I, I love it. So blustery day is also great. I'm glad we agree. The third one is the
1: weakest. It's not bad. It's not bad, but it's just not as grabbing you, you know, probably because it doesn't have all the songs and stuff. I do think not having the Sherman
0: brothers is it hurts it. Definitely. And it's again, it's so funny that like, you know, these people were mostly just talking with their weird voices and coming up with this silly stuff on the spot. And then it's like, Now, for literal decades, people have had to imitate that for half a century.
1: Yeah, Jim
0: Cummings has had to do the hoo -hoo -hoo because Paul Winchell ad libbed that on the day and was like, that's kind of funny. Assuming the Disney Plus version is the Blu-ray version, it looks fine.
1: Yeah, it looks fine. One of the special features I watched may have been showing some scenes from the like the original animation before they fixed it up because it was from like a DVD version that they just slap those special features on the Blu-ray disc too. I think that they did change the coloring just a little, but it doesn't look bad. You still get all those lines, you know, the, the drawing pencil lines. The and stuff. construction lines. Yes, that's what I was trying to think of. Which works so well in this,
0: and I think it's part of why Winnie the Pooh has been such an enduring character, and I'll talk about it. Like, these are characters that you can draw cheaply. <laughs> you know they have pretty flat colors obviously they're stuffed animals and especially for the xerox process that they're using and just continued to use until they made the jump to cgi i believe when you see the construction lines you could just be like oh that's like a seam on exactly. something
1: exactly on on these they look like it's a seam on their stuffed bodies it's great but this movie doesn't actually look that cheap,
0: except for some of the added stuff, because of course it's not really a bronze era film. It's, it's mostly
1: like a silver era film. Yeah, silver era featurettes. <laughs> the only real mom status in this, mom status Kanga. You get to meet her basically in the opening song. <laughs> That's right. And Little Rue. Yes.
0: And there's Owl. <laughs> One
1: thing I love so much about this movie is how they play with the storybook. Mm, I love that, too. That is one of my favorite things about this movie, how the book is a physical thing that the characters interact with. Sometimes Pooh jumping over the seam in between the pages Things almost flying out of the book. And jokes
0: about, like, while Pooh's bottom was stuck on this page, his head yes! was on this page.
1: Oh, I love that. And it's fun when you can read the little bits of the act- the text that's on the side. Sometimes it's what the narrator is saying, but sometimes it's actually text taken straight out of the original A.A. Milne books that's not included in the actual movie, you know? It's such a
0: good idea they do so many good jokes and stuff with it it's in the grand disney tradition of like characters interacting with the narrator which they do also and breaking the fourth wall and it's a smart cost saving measure because so many of the backgrounds in this are like watercolors that fade into white. And you're like, well, we're looking at a storybook illustration. It's
1: the edge of the page. They make it
0: stylistic that so much of the backgrounds in this are just plain white or, you know, whenever they zoom out to the page, like, you know, Mm -hmm. you just have to have a lot of white and a lot of words and Pooh's jumping around and you're you're not taken out of it. So we meet Pooh. Another thing I like about the honey tree is I think it's actually the most Pooh centric.
1: Yeah, it is. The first song, of course, is Winnie the Pooh. We pretty much roll right into
0: the second song, which is him doing his exercises. And yes, we get we get all the hits here. We get that we hear that he's a bear, very little brain. We hear him say, think, think, think.
1: Mm-hmm. He rips a seam. He's talking to the mirror. All the fun stuff we love about Pooh. Yep. Second song is the up, down, touch the ground as he's doing his exercises, his stoutness exercises, which I always liked trying to make himself fatter. <laughs>
0: But a bee arrives in
1: his home and the only reason he knows of to be
0: buzzing is if you're a bee. Mm -hmm. The only reason he knows of to be a bee is to make honey. And the only reason for there to be honey is so he can eat it. Such a good, the language in this is so good. I'm sure a lot of it is borrowed from the books. Obviously, A.A. Milne was a poet. Uh, he did not like being associated with Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> he was like, I was a poet and a playwright and I wrote real serious novels. It's like, no, you're the Winnie the Pooh guy. Sorry, yep. dude.
1: Sorry, dude. This is what stuck. So, of course, he follows the bee to the honey tree and tries to climb it and sings his rumbly and my tumbly song. The Sherman
0: Brothers music fits so well with Winnie the Pooh because a lot of it is silly nonsense language, which is already in Winnie the Pooh, and it's so just like bouncy silly catchy rhythms stuck in your head there isn't a song in this that I dislike. He climbs up the tree he falls in a very funny way where he's like not being affected by gravity he's just a static object <laughs> bouncing off of tree branches ending up in the gorse bush and the narrator is like he's gonna go find somebody else and way the poo's like me. And Winnie the Pooh, you know, he's he's such a food monster. We hear me Christopher Robin, who is uh, nailing Eeyore's tail back on Kinga and Owl and Rue are also hanging around. Get some fun Eeyore stuff. Eeyore. I mean, Pooh is my favorite, but Eeyore. I, I love him. So he makes me laugh so much <laughs> uh, and he's sad all the time. But he's he's going <laughs> Eeyore is going through it, as the kids <laughs> would
1: say. It's not much of a tale, but I'm sort of attached to it.
0: And I love Winnie the Pooh, again, being a little bit of a a food monster and and kind of (laughs) selfish, but in such a charming way where he's staring right at Christopher Robin's balloon like, you wouldn't happen to have such a thing as a balloon. (laughs) (laughs) Which is one thing about this movie, as much as it is like a comforting, gentle, soft movie, The characters are funny and they do kind of get on each other's nerves and play off of each other in a way that's funny. Mm -hmm. This is again, I'm all building up to the spinoff section because it's (laughs) going to be an hour long. But like some of the spinoffs get this wrong Mm -hmm. where it's just all sweet or the other direction potentially where it's too mean. This this strikes the right balance where Winnie the Pooh. Oh, you love him. Of course, he's so nice. He's so funny. But like he's trying to steal honey from bees and he's going to not so subtly uh, make Christopher Robin help him out with that, whether he wants to or not.
1: (laughs) I think Christopher Robin's uh, down to help him out. Oh, for sure. So, of course, he has Christopher Robin tow him to a muddy place of which he knows of. Another. Line I think about all the time. You can roll in the mud and be a little black rain cloud. And this plan sort of works? Question mark. (laughs) I don't know that the bees are deceived. But he does get up near the tree so that he can eat honey and eat a whole lot of bees. And yeah, he gets a whole lot of bees in his mouth, which is a great joke.
0: And my brother who is watching this with us pointed out that that's actually why bears eat honey is they want the protein of eating bees. Exactly. But uh, of course, he's a poo bear. Yes. And he just wants to eat the honey
1: right <laughs> honey
0: never looks as appetizing as it does in winnie the pooh stuff when i watch this movie i'm like man i really want to eat some honey i don't just want to eat a fistful of honey actually <laughs> but in this it it's looks true. delicious it looks like it melted cheese or something yeah it's a very yeah. appealing color and uh he eats a whole bunch of bees he's spitting them out there's a cute moment where he looks like a machine gun you know and he's like spitting them out. And one of the bees falls in the mud and uh, really makes a problem for him. So he decides the problem is Christopher Robin's not selling it enough.
1: (laughs) Open your umbrella and say, tut, tut, it looks like rain. One of my favorite
0: jokes (laughs) that the bees are going to see Christopher Robin going, tut, tut, looks like rain. They're like, well, shoot, this is a cloud. This slightly brown bear is a (laughs) cloud.
1: After we've already been in his mouth.
0: (laughs) So now most of the shorts kind of have two separate parts. Yeah. So it feels like there's six stories total plus the new seventh story.
1: They have like separate chapters.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So now we enter the next chapter where uh, Pooh has not given up. And that's one of the things I like about this short is it has the most complete arc. The two pieces fit together the best, I think. And so he hasn't forgotten about the honey tree, but he's going to go seek out the help of Rabbit. Rabbit's a smart guy, and he uses short words like, how about lunch? Because again, Winnie the Pooh is nice and funny and cuddly and soft, but also a selfish food monster. (laughs) So we meet Rabbit. Rabbit, who is a great character in this. Watching this in Sword in the Stone has made me realize that I just love Junius Matthews as this voice actor. I think he's so funny. And of course, this is such a different character. Definitely. (laughs) Where Archimedes is always kind of in control and the smartest one in the room. Rabbit is is such a good balance where he is usually the smartest one in the room, unless maybe Christopher Robin's there, but (laughs) the universe hates him.
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: God himself has singled out Rabbit for (laughs)
1: destruction.
0: (laughs) And the performance is so funny. Of all the spinoffs, I think this is the voice they never get right or get a good equivalent to is the Junius Matthews performance as rabbit because there's so much despair.
1: Uh (laughs) It feels like
0: (laughs) rabbit is always one bad event away from like plunging into total misery and just like walking into the sea, never to be (laughs) seen again. Like he's so put upon and it's, it's so it's so funny, it's such a specific performance. He's very stressed out. And so Rabbit uh, tries to convince Pooh to, that he's not there, but once Pooh sees he is there, he can't help but be polite and do the right thing and invite him in for lunch,
1: wherein Pooh eats at least seven whole jars of honey. At least, you see so many discarded honey jars. Which is one of my favorite things about
0: Pooh is that his capacity for eating honey truly is infinite. He doesn't even stop because he's full. He stops because there is no more honey in Rabbit's home. Well, he is stuffed with fluff. <laughs> he is.
1: <laughs> and now honey.
0: <laughs> and now honey. And he's so stuffed that, of course, he gets stuck in the doorway to Rabbit's house.
1: Yes, which is just a hole in the dirt.
0: Rabbit runs off to get Christopher Robin because Christopher Robin is always who you go to to solve a problem. Right. And uh, meanwhile, Owl shows up. He's having fun. I I enjoy how Smith is Owl quite a bit, and he's not used too much in this, which is good. Yeah. And then Gopher shows up, Mm -hmm. and he and Owl are almost doing vaudeville bits where it's like, what's the charge? And then he's like talking about the charge of the dynamite he's going to use, and it's like, no, the charge in money. I don't take charge or credit. Gotta be cash. Well, certainly, (laughs) like... They just they're constantly talking past each other. Yeah. Gopher, uh, of course, we talked about the actor uh, Howard Morris in the Lady
1: and the Tramp episode was doing a very similar, similar voice. Yeah, it's a different actor doing the the voice member in Lady and the Tramp. Oh, right, right, right. But it's based on that. But it is based on that. So the the funny thing about the character of Gopher, because after all, he's not in the book, you know. Right. um, They came up with the idea of this character because they wanted an American character to appeal to American audiences, which is why they came up with Gopher and thought he would be more appealing. Because again, they're trying to sell Winnie the Pooh to to the Americans is what they're doing with this. So they thought they needed an American character in there. And then somebody came up with the joke about him not being in the book, And they thought all thought that was great. And that's why it's used so many times.
0: That is what I think sells the character is the fact that he's not in the book, you know, and the fact that they keep saying that. Yeah, it means like it it, to me, that's them going like, look, we know (laughs) he's not in the book, you know, which I quote all the time. Same. But it's I've never thought about him being the American character because like a Most of these voice actors are American and not doing British accents like well, but some of them are Christopher Robin is Owl is and the narrator kind of. But nobody else is doing a British accent, even if they're British. I would say, you know, not Winnie, not Piglet, not Tigger. So I have never thought of him as the American character, even though I get what you're saying.
1: I mean, of course. Tigger and Piglet are not in this one. Yes. But yeah, that is the reason why they came up with the character of Gopher.
0: But I love the Gopher stuff. It's very funny. Like Owl, I think they don't use him too much because he's a heavy spice. Uh, And that's part of why this is my favorite short is because there is so much Gopher stuff.
1: But not too much.
0: But one of the real reasons this is my favorite show, Christopher Robin comes back. They try some stuff. They're not going to be able to get him out. They're just going to have to wait for him to thin up. And what I love is that Rabbit realizes Winnie the Pooh's butt is in his home (laughs) and may be there for months. So he starts trying to decorate it.
1: He's gonna make the best of it. So funny, obviously a a Disney butt gag TM for sure. Yes, an extensive, extensive gag.
0: (laughs) He frames it, he puts moose antlers on it, He tries to draw a face, which tickles (laughs) Pooh. Makes Pooh laugh, so the face gets messed up.
1: Oh, Pooh, you ruined my (laughs) (laughs) moose.
0: We get a match cut to Pooh making the same face. He tries to put a shelf on it. He tries to later in the montage of Pooh getting thinner, we see that he's using Pooh's legs as the armrests of an armchair and leaning against the butt, like, (laughs) just so he doesn't have to face it. Like, the butt (laughs) is going to haunt rabbit <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so funny it really is oh
0: uh, this c- very close to my favorite scene you have to give it to have and woozles mm-hmm. but
1: it's a great scene it is
0: i hate gross out humor i hate that that's become so dominant in animation i hate like fart jokes and there's none
1: of that like it's lazy and it's not funny
0: it's lazy it's not funny for sure and again shrek ruined everything but What's so funny about this butt joke is that, like, the joke has nothing to do with anything that's gross. Like, it's just a big, soft, Winnie the Pooh stuffed animal bottom. But (laughs) the joke is that, again, it is now the centerpiece of Rabbit's home is his (laughs) friend's butt. (laughs) And he understandably does not appreciate that.
1: (laughs) And then, of course, he leans on it, and it budged. It bidged, it badged, it booged then Rabbit's so excited he can't talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and we get another song. I think the last uh, new song in this. Yeah, the last song of this segment, Mind Over Matter, which I was like, I can never remember what this one's called. I would have called it, Today is the Day. <laughs> and he sails right out of the book. Yes, and the narrator has to turn the page real quick.
0: <laughs> so that he can fly into the tree where he gets stuck again But he gets to eat all the honey he wants. Yep. I just feel like that's the perfect. If you think of these as shorts and not as part of a movie, that is my favorite short. I think that's such a good punchline to the whole thing to put him back in the tree. But he's still stuck. I, I love it. Honey tree number one for me. And so the interstitials that they add, the, the things between the shorts are mostly the narrator being like, we have to go to the next chapter now. And Pooh being like, well, what happens in that one? And the narrator is like this and Pooh's like, OK, we can go to the next thing now. It's cute that, we're you know, it's again, we're referencing the book and sort of
1: breaking the fourth wall. So then we have Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. So we start off with Pooh singing a rather blustery day song, which
0: I... Think of any time it's windy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And who we meet, who's maybe the main character of this short is Piglet, played by John Fiedler, who would continue to play Piglet for a long, long time and who, as mentioned, I think is such a great actor. I enjoy him a lot as Piglet, even though it is his natural voice. He has to do the stutter.
1: Yeah. And he does that very well. So Piglet is here and uh, because Pooh's
0: wishing everyone a happy Wednesday, as told to him by Gopher, who's still in this one. Yep, briefly. And Piglet, of course, lives in the house of his grandfather, Trespasser's Will. (laughs) That's short for Trespasser's William. (laughs) I love all of that stuff. Again, the the Pooh character's misunderstanding things. Uh, And Piglet is very small. That's his big deal. And the wind's pick him up and he
1: sort of becomes a kite. And as he's pulling Pooh along like he's a kite, then Pooh is wishing everybody they pass a happy Wednesday. This is the only time something goes right for Rabbit because he thinks, oh no, Pooh is digging up my garden. But then it turns out he's actually harvesting the carrots properly. Rabbit just follows behind with the wheelbarrow and he's like, oh, yes. Next (laughs) time I hope he blows right through my rutabaga patch.
0: (laughs) Yes. But it has, even though it's something good happening, it looks like something bad is happening. Yeah. I also enjoy knocking over Eeyore's stick house and Rue being like, can I fly Piglet? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But eventually Pooh and Piglet enter Owl's home. And so Owl's home is tipping back and forth because he lives at the top of a tree and it is such a blustery day. And that gives, you know, the animators just get so much free reign with Mm -hmm. that. Even though I'm sure a lot of this is done by just tipping the animation cell diagonal. It still is so fun visually. And we get Owl's main deal uh, that I think he really only does once in this movie, which is telling an incredibly long story. About his family, usually. But... uh, As much as the joke is Owl tells an incredibly boring story, this is a pretty good story. She laid a (laughs) seagull egg by mistake. (laughs) Funny stuff. And somewhere around here is where Piglet gets his first, oh, dear. Oh, dear, dear, dear. The upshot, of course, is Owl's home is destroyed.
1: Everyone is uh, sorry for him and Eeyore's going to find him a new house. And then the blustery day turns into a very blustery night. And for Pooh, it was a very anxious sort of night.
0: <laughs> I really enjoy this organy version of the Hufflepuff Woozle song. Yes, and the spooky Tigger growl, <laughs> because of course that's uh, that's who's here. It's yep. Tigger. We get to meet Tigger. T i double gut er. Fan favorite, which is the reason they went all in on him in the next short. And he has his own theme song. He's constantly self mythologizing about what Tiggers do best and what's Tiggers favorite and
1: least favorite things and so on, so on. Because he doesn't know that's actually straight out of the book where he tries a bunch of different foods with people because he just he's like, that's what Tiggers like best. Well, nope, I was wrong. I've never tried it before and I thought I'd like it, but it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And then they have to try to figure out what Tiggers can eat in the in the book. What he ends up eating as his main food is Rue's medicine
0: because it's so nasty. That's the joke. That's pretty good.
1: I don't know. That's but that's what Tiggers do like best. And so then he's given some of like Rue's actual favorite food as his medicine because he ends up living with Kanga and Rue. That's funny.
0: (laughs) Anyway, in this movie, after he doesn't like the honey, he's like, that stuff's for heffalumps and woozles. And Winnie's like, what? And he's like, they eat honey. And Winnie's like, what? And he's like, anyway,
1: bye. (laughs) And so Pooh is like, now I'm worried about heffalumps and woozles.
0: So the heffalumps and woozles dream sequence is it's very much so great. It is. It's very much pink elephants, but pink elephants is great. So I'm okay with them treading similar uh, waters where it's a crazy song. And uh, very surreal visuals and elephants turning into all kinds of ridiculous stuff. Not unlike Pink Elephants. The song comes to nothing. There are no Heffalumps or Woozles. But like, it's the many adventures of Winnie Pooh. All of it comes to nothing if you're trying to think of it having a plot.
1: Right. You know, we've talked
0: a lot about how that's not what we're coming to Disney movies for.
1: But then he wakes up and it's raining so much. His house is being flooded. And we get the song, the rain, rain, rain came down, down, down. Yep. Which there's a lot of funny stuff
0: going on here. My personal favorite being Piglet, writing a note that says, help, p piglet parentheses, me.
1: Right. And placed it in a bottle and it floated out of sight. Maybe the best song in this movie. It's a really good one, but it's it's hard to pick. It's a really good one. And like, like most of these Sherman Brothers songs, they advance the story. And this one advances it quite a bit. Winnie the
0: Pooh and Piglet get stranded, but they pretty quickly get rescued. And uh, Winnie is credited for the rescue, so they're going to throw him a big hero party at which Eeyore announces he has found a home for Owl. And uh, he has found Piglet's home, which he believes is Owl's home because he thinks trespassers will. He thinks the will is a W-O-L, and he also thinks that spells Owl. <laughs>
1: It has the same letters as owl except for it actually says w i l but anyway yes that's it's a double misunderstanding and uh
0: this this moment doesn't make a lot of sense why piglet is okay with giving owl what everyone else seems to know is piglet's house but uh emotionally it works and i think a lot of that is the performances of uh especially you know piglet giving up the home when he's crying and saying, you know, this home belongs to our very good friend. Owl. yeah. And then the other emotional beat I love is he doesn't know where he's going to live. And Pooh just goes with me. You shall live with me. Yeah. Because this movie, like we were talking about with Robin Hood, it does have some true sadness to
1: it, Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, which I, I always appreciate. I like when the Disney movies are willing to get a little sad. And this movie is a very careful balance of a lot of different tones that they don't seem like they should fit, but somehow they really do. And the best Winnie the Pooh things are the ones that are able to capture those three tones of humor. Kind of a kind gentleness and sadness, all three. (laughs) So again, it doesn't make logical sense, but it makes emotional sense. And so now the one hero party is a two hero party. We have our last Sherman Brothers song, Hip Hip Hooray.
1: Hip Hip (laughs) Pooray. Which gets stuck in my head. The thing where Piglet does a very grand thing and gives his house to Owl is in the book. It's in the second book, The House at Poot Corner. It's not in the first book, which is where the flood is. So they combined elements from both.
0: Well, obviously they're ruining my childhood and uh, everyone who worked on this movie (laughs) should be dragged into the street and shot if they weren't mostly dead already. Then there's another short link uh, where the narrators talk about how the next chapter is mostly about Tigger and This link is mostly notable because the way Winnie the Pooh sounds in this and the way he sounds in the immediate next scene are so
1: different. Yeah, it's true. They did not even try. And the way they drew him looks a little weird, too, in that in that interstitial. Yes. (laughs) But we're going into Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, too. Yep.
0: And it starts with Winnie the Pooh in his thoughtful spot, which was established in the previous short Tigger bounces him, then he bounces Piglet. Uh, Tigger is just a menace. He's he's a creature of pure id. He's a danger <laughs> to himself and others, and we all love him for it. Yep. But who does not love him is old Long Ears.
1: <laughs>
0: Rabbit. Of course, Tigger sings his song again because when this was a separate short, kids were like, oh, he's singing his song. But it's kind of funny how in the movie you know, because it combines it all together. He sings it three times in total. That's true. But this then goes to Rabbit calls a protest
1: meeting. Yes, which is maybe my favorite part of this short because it's so funny, very funny. It's attended by Pooh and Piglet only. Piglet, who is
0: just a natural follower, Uh Uh, will sort of believe anything anyone tells him. And Pooh, who is fully asleep.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He is so not
0: paying attention. And that is his protest. Rabbit thinks that, you know, everyone agrees we all
1: hate Tigger, and that's, that's who shows up. And we should teach him a lesson.
0: Yeah, and again, you know, talk about how these characters can be pretty mean he's planning to abandon tigger in the woods and basically like give him a mental breakdown (laughs) so that he'll bounce less because we have to unbounce tigger Mm -hmm. he has too much energy so let's (laughs) mentally like terrify him so on a cold and misty morning they do just
1: that they abandon tigger and then they are trying to get out of the woods but they're lost in the fog And every time they try to find their way out, they keep finding their way back to this sand pit. (laughs) The sand pit also cracks me up. The stuff with the sand pit is great. And then I love Pooh has the best idea, which is if we were to walk away from this pit and then try find it again we might find home because we keep trying to find home and we keep finding this pit and then rabbit of course is like that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard i'll prove it to you i'll walk away from the pit and walk right back and then he's never seen again (laughs) (laughs) and again
0: i think that moment is so much funnier because of the matthews performance of rabbit Mm mm-hmm You know, where he's like, he has so much disdain, where he's like, if I should walk away from this pit, of course I should find it again. I'll prove it to you. Like, he's like, no, I'm not owned. I'm not owned. I'm laughing, actually.
1: (laughs) He's totally owned.
0: He's so owned. But uh, they bump into Tigger because Tigger's can't get lost. And Tigger will rescue Rabbit, who is... So distraught and he is now a humiliated rabbit.
1: Yes, because he had a terrifying time lost in the woods. (laughs) Oh yes, we have to talk about his moment lost in the woods because not only is it a great moment, where his mind was beginning to play tricks. Yes,
0: where him. he's truly going mad. Uh, this is where Rabbit's fragile psyche shatters. <laughs> but <laughs> not only is it very funny and a little, a little creepy, a little bit of Shades of Wind the Willows, but this was animated by Don Bluth, this sequence. it And you can kind of tell once you know that. there's There's shades of Bluth's later work. You can kind of see a similarity in some of the work. And uh, the second part of this, it is now snowy. The one type of weather we haven't hit yet.
1: <laughs> Guess we're going through a whole year. So Tigger's going to take Roo out for some bouncing lessons. The Tigger-Rue relationship, which it's
0: interesting. You were talking about how that's even more in the books because that becomes such a thing with these two characters after this. And uh, especially in the shore. And it makes sense because, you know, they, they, they can't get rude. They're, Bouncy animals. They also bounce. Exactly.
1: <laughs> they, you know, have <laughs> Tigger assaults rabbit again accidentally. Well, because he's ice skating and Tigger's like, I can ice skate. Uh, maybe not. Well, the, he actually is doing OK until he tries to bounce on the ice. Then he has difficulties, unsurprisingly.
0: And among a few other antics, he ultimately bounces all the way up in out of a book and into the top of a tree. Yes. When he realizes he cannot get down.
1: And then he realizes Tiggers are scared of heights.
0: <laughs> and the one original song in this, the a very strange <laughs> moment, in my opinion, is Rue swinging on him. And he sings the incredibly memorable
1: song. The best kind of swing is a Tinker's tail. (laughs) So then we cut to Pooh and Piglet. Pooh is following some tracks around.
0: Oh, Pooh finally gets to be in
1: a Pooh short. That's nice. I mean, he's been around, but. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So Pooh and Piglet are walking around. They don't realize they're walking around a spinny following tracks that are their own tracks but getting more and more nervous because what are these creatures in front of them? And they seem to be multiplying more, keep joining them. Because, of course, every time they go round, more tracks are added to the <laughs> to the tracks. Oh, it's a great, funny thing. And then they hear something shouting, hello. And this is one of my favorite jokes in the entire
0: movie, which is uh, Winnie the Pooh talking about how that's a Jaguar. A jaguar. And uh, what jaguars do, according to Pooh, is they sit in trees and they shout hello. And when you look up, they drop on you. And Piglet goes,
1: I'm looking down, (laughs) Pooh.
0: I love (laughs) both of those jokes. First of all, it's just funny to hear Winnie the Pooh deliver like they drop on you. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But of course, Tigger is saying hello and the whole gang gets together and they get Rue down easily. But the narrator has to get Tigger down by sliding him.
1: the book. (laughs) Yes, by sliding him down the text of the book itself. But Tigger promised Tigger promised if he could ever get down. He would never bounce again. And Rabbit latched onto that. (laughs) Rabbit in this scene is
0: so funny where everyone else is like, oh, no, our friends are in mortal peril. And he's like, well, we should probably leave Tigger up there to die or just to stand there forever. I don't care. He He can't can't bounce
1: anyone up there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he has such a cheese-eating grin when Tigger does get down. And he's like, you can't bounce. So this is another real emotional moment where Tigger is so sad His reason for living has been taken from him and all the other characters are sad about it too. But Rabbit again is just so smug. (laughs) The animation is so funny. But of course, everyone likes the old Tigger better and eventually
1: they peer pressure Rabbit into saying the same. And then Tigger, of course, bounces back and is like, Rabbit, bounce with me. You've got the feet for it. (laughs) Right. It's so funny that Tigger has to point out that rabbits are, in fact, one of the
0: bounciest animals. (laughs) And they all bounce. And it is a really fun, really good moment to be not exactly the ending of this movie, but sort of just to have them all together. Mm -hmm. And even Rabbit is actually having fun for once. Maybe, you know, he can stave off the the despair for another (laughs)
1: day. Yep. And then we have our short ending chapter, where in the book, the chapter title is where Christopher Robin and Pooh come to an enchanted place and we say goodbye. So I can never remember what it actually is in the movie. Christopher Robin is going to have to go to school. And so the animals are like kind of trying to figure out what that's all about. And just means that Christopher Robin won't be around as much anymore. So, like, in a to me, this has always felt
0: kind of like, you know, the scene at the end of Toy Story 3 where or even more so than that, where it's like these characters are going to sort of die is how I've interpreted the end of this movie. Not really die, but like, you know, these adventures will stop happening. They will stop being characters in Christopher Robin's mind and just be toys that he has. And so it, it the whole thing is imbued with a real poignancy and i think a lot of movies today especially ones that would go on to launch huge franchises would not end like this and i've i've always appreciated it i've it's it's a little peter pan too of like you know you have to grow up ultimately one of the things that is so becomes so important to the uh winnie the pooh character is this conversation christopher robin has with him and christopher robin knows everything is coming to an end and winnie the pooh doesn't really get it because he is a bear of very little brain and christopher robin talk about what he likes to do best
1: in the world is nothing and then they skip off into the sunset basically
0: (laughs) wherever they go and whatever happens to them on the way in that enchanted place on top of the forest a little boy and his bear will always be playing right ah (laughs) <laughs> ah, sebastian cabot and the book closes winnie the pooh is just a teddy bear but he winks because there's a little bit of that magic that will never leave christopher robin fictional christopher robin
1: the end
0: what a treat what a what a perfect little movie now let's talk about some sequels spin-offs, remakes rides and reboots
1: Okay, so we're not going to talk about all of them, people. <laughs> I did find and watch the the fourth featurette, Winnie the Pooh and the Day for Eeyore. Oh, I'm curious. Do tell. I had seen it before. I thought I had. It's another story taken from the book. It's the story of Eeyore's birthday. And it's actually the story, It they start with them playing poo sticks. So the invention of poo sticks and them playing it and finding Eeyore in the water. And then they find out it's his birthday and they're going to do stuff for him. Pooh's going to give him a jar of honey, but of course, eats the honey. And so he gives him a jar, useful jar to keep things in. And Piglet is going to give him a balloon, but he ends up popping it so that what he gives Eeyore is a thing to keep in his pot, a useful thing to keep in his pot so he can take the balloon in and out of the pot. And that's the end It's happy birthday to Eeyore. Yay. So the main problem I had with the Winnie the Pooh in a day for Eeyore is all the voices are very different. Yeah, it is the one thing where Hal Smith, the original voice of Owl, voices Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I was going to say, if this is Jim Cummings trying to do Winnie the Pooh, he hadn't got it nailed down yet. <laughs> it is pre-Cummings. Yeah. So he didn't do a good job. Winnie the Pooh just does not sound right, but neither does anyone else. Eeyore is close, but not quite right. They don't quite get him right in that one. And it's mostly about Eeyore. It's still fun, though, because, of course, it's the stories are straight out of the book and that part's fun, right? I can still enjoy the parts of the story that I already love. It's just jarring after having just watched Winnie the Pooh to hear them all speaking differently. (laughs) And then they do frequently include that short, like on the DVD of this movie and stuff.
0: So Winnie the Pooh, the shorts were popular and the movie was big hit. So obviously we're Disney. We got to do more, especially again during the 80s when we need something. So they did release that new short That one didn't really hit because the 80s, I think, too late for animated shorts. Yeah, probably. And as you say, the voices are weird and it's not it's not what people wanted. They also in the 80s did something we've talked about in the Dumbo episode, which is Welcome to Pooh Corner. uh, The horrifying (laughs) nightmare released in 1983. So the same year as a day for Eeyore continued until 84 and ran in syndication for eternity because that's how <laughs> all shows worked, but especially Disney shows worked. Welcome to Pooh Corner features. It features actors in life-size costumes, and it they're very horrifying. The show is it, I don't think it holds up at all, but it's slightly better than the Dumbo show that was the same idea, so okay. <laughs> but it was at the time a big hit. Uh, and it really helped show that there was still interest in the Winnie the Pooh characters. So, again, I'm skipping over a lot. Bear with me. But the next big thing that that show led to was the creation of
1: the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Right. Which premiered in
0: 1988.
1: Yes, that is a when I saw it, it was a Saturday morning cartoon show on ABC. I know it was on Disney Channel first, but we didn't have Disney Channel. And it was only briefly on Disney
0: Channel. There's a lot about like the deal that was made with ABC. But yes, this
1: was one of my favorite Saturday morning cartoon shows. (laughs) We watched this one every Saturday and there were four seasons of it. I have probably seen every single episode, some of them multiple times. Uh, this is when I watched a lot and I was noticing it's on uh, Disney Plus. I was wondering if I should watch some more. I also watch this a lot, too. Yeah, I'm not sure where we were able to find it, if it was just on Disney Channel again or if it well, was so two things. Episodes continued until
0: 91, but again, it stayed in circulation forever. Uh, the place I remember watching it the most, I'm sure it was on TV and we probably watched it there a few times. But the place I remember watching it the most is, of course, it was released on home video. Those VHSs, mm-hmm. usually not a clamshell, it must be said. But those VHS tapes that had like three episodes, which is how cartoons used to be released back in the day. The idea that you would watch all of a show on home video or, of course, on streaming, <laughs> unheard of. You got three episodes That was enough. This show, there's actually a lot of history you can read about it because this show was beloved and it's like a landmark in television animation. It not only won two Emmys, but it won two Humanitas Prizes, I think is how you say that, which is an award for film and television writing intended to promote human dignity, meaning and freedom. And this show, like the people who worked on it, again, I'm I'm giving the super short version, but they really wanted to make something that sort of honored the characters. At the time, Saturday morning cartoons were seen as a place with awful, repetitive storylines and shallow characters. Certainly the idea that adults would watch cartoons in the 80s was not uh, thought of at all. And they'd, you know, have cheap animation. And so a lot of fans of whether the animated version or the books were like, no, don't don't do this. Don't make the awful, you know, Saturday morning cartoon version of this. But the people working on it really want to make it good. They put a lot more money into it than usual. Uh, They used 20,000 cells of animation in each episode, as opposed to 8000 to 12000 was the standard at this time. So the animation looks a lot more fluid. It has a much larger budget. They got a lot more animators than they usually used on this. They got back all of the original actors they could. Sterling Holloway actually came to a table read for the beginning of the show, but he was too old to do the voice anymore. But John Fiedler as Piglet and Hal Smith as Owl came back. Paul Winchell came back for the first two seasons, uh, but... He was having a lot of health problems, uh, mostly stress caused health problems, you know, again, anxiety. And he was also making several trips to Africa to cure hunger. So uh, the person they cast as Pooh, Jim Cummings, started filling in for him and eventually would replace him in seasons three and four. Jim Cummings, we must talk about. He was an up and comer in Disney television animation at this time. They really liked using him for stuff and they continued to. I mean, they still to this day, they they give Jim Cummings a lot of work, especially in Disney television, though not exclusively. He's he's in a ton of things and we have talked about him in the past, but his roles of Pooh and Tigger are really I mean, I assume that like that's what paid for, you know, his kids to go to college, (laughs) right? Like that is that is his moneymaker. And he's also really, really good in those roles and everything he's done them in. It's really impressive. And that's one thing that like as I'm watching all these spinoffs continue to stick out to me is how good Jim Cummings is as a voice actor, not just in that he's able to imitate the voices, but he can really bring power and emotion to them. One of the things they really wanted to do with the show, the reason I think it won humanities prizes is because they wanted to do a show that, first of all, would not have violence or villains, but that would have lessons in a subtle way that would actually resonate with kids. Rather than, you know, the G.I. Joe method of a similar time frame, which was do a very violent episode with absolutely no lessons whatsoever. That's just selling you toys. And then at the end, here's something completely unrelated. We're giving you a lesson that, let's be honest, you'll probably just turn off and stop watching the episode if you're a kid. But they like worked with child psychologists and child experts and really tried to make this a show that would entertain parents and older people uh, who they referred to as big kids in the writer's room, <laughs> but they would also teach good lessons to children and be that uh good balance. And, you know, it, it, they were perceived as succeeding at that. And uh, it's, it's funny reading about some of the stuff that like, was was controversial or they they debated about whether or not they could do that. Like Gopher continues to be in this whole thing, and they debated about whether or not he could use dynamite or (laughs) gunpowder. Also, there was much debate between the writers and the like, I I forget what it's called, but the basically the child psychologist they were working with about all of the misspellings such as honey, H-U-N-N-Y, which was like, are we teaching kids the wrong spelling of things versus we can't not have that.
1: Right, because that's straight out of the original book.
0: They did make several changes to the show itself, especially based on this movie. Like they got rid of the entire storybook aspect and the narrator. Yeah, They made Christopher Robin an American Child living in the 80s, although they tried not to make it so modern that it would feel jarring.
1: Yeah, I think they they achieved it being fairly timeless.
0: Yeah. In the first season, they're also trying to do more movie parodies and more of them going to other real places like the first episode is they uh, Christopher Robin takes Pooh to a movie theater. But in the later seasons, they were like, no, we should just stay in the Hundred Acre Wood the whole time, which is correct. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's what I mostly remember. And yeah, you watched this show as a kid. I've watched the show as a kid. I'm sure many people watch this show as a kid. Because again, it was a huge hit and it still gets played all the time. And now it's all on Disney Plus. And I have to say, I watched a couple episodes for this. It definitely holds up. I don't like it as much as this movie. You can tell the animation is cheaper and just less skilled in general, even though apparently for the time it was really good. But it's going up against like Hanna-Barbera. So yikes. And one thing I really liked about watching the show, like reading all this stuff about how it's all about teaching lessons. I was like, is this going to be really boring compared to a lot of the other spinoffs? It's still funny and retains that kind of meanness, not in the sense that the characters are really mean to each other, or ever trying to hurt each other. But again, it is still actually funny. It's not just trying to teach you a lesson. If you're an adult, you can kind of see what's going on. But nobody ever says like, you know, oh, I'll never do the wrong thing I did again. It's more like you as a parent can be like, so what Rabbit did wrong in this episode was he was a huge jerk. And that's why he got curse by Gopher. (laughs) It was one of the episodes I watched. He gets blown up multiple times by Gopher.
1: It's the thing.
0: It's still funny. Uh, I do think maybe they use Gopher a little too much. Like I said, he's a heavy spice and. You know, it's not perfect or anything, but it's totally a worthy successor to Winnie the Pooh. I was not embarrassed watching it the way, you know, watching so many of these other shows. And <laughs> in general, I think the Winnie the Pooh spinoffs are fairly good. As the person who I think I can now say I'm one of the foremost experts in Disney crap.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: like all the 101 Dalmatian stuff I have watched that yes. was just horrible. Yeah, this TV show really sort of cracked the formula. You know, they did a ton of episodes and they figured out how to do it. And I like that the episodes are like this movie, mostly mild adventures. Right. It's like rabbits having a problem with his garden. It's not anything too dramatic because you want anything with Winnie the Pooh to just feel like a lazy summer day. Definitely. Even when it's winter. And so that that show very well regarded. I think it still pretty much holds up would absolutely show to a child if you're like, what's on Disney Plus that I can show to a child? I I think that would be a very good thing.
1: I did have someone tell me they thought some of the episodes might be a little too scary for like a three-year-old child. Like there's some monsters under the bed stuff. um, And things like that, that she was like, mm, maybe a little not quite for this, you know, child, but. But the new Adventures of Winnie the Pooh was a
0: huge hit, one of the most popular and successful Disney TV shows ever. And so that really sets the tone.
1: It did. It has that really launches the franchise, I feel like. Right. Even more.
0: That sets the tone for the next decade. And that's also where they kind of settle on the cast that they'll mostly stick to from this point forward with a few changes. But uh, largely, it'll be the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh people. And the next big movement in Winnie the Pooh is the Tigger movie. The year is 2000. Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who we're going to talk about, are very in charge of Disney and are really trying to just squeeze every drop of money they can out of it. And this is the era that all the direct-to-video stuff is getting made, which is how the Tigger movie starts. But... They screwed up because they accidentally hired really good people to make it. (laughs) They brought back the Sherman brothers to write original songs. And it also has a score by Harry Gregson Williams, who is a conductor, composer for movies and television. I quite like I mentioned him in the mailbag episode. He does the Chronicles of Narnia score that I talked about, how I listen to all the time. This series, this trilogy of movies that starts with the Tigger movie that Disney Toon animations did, Disney Toon being the company that mostly did the direct to video stuff that I enjoyed talking about. I've said on Twitter and I stand by it that if we were to do a series of me, mom and the mouse after the anime canon, which we're not, I'm going to go through the Disney Toon's filmography because it's fascinating. This trilogy is seen as some of their best work, which I would say, having watched them all now, Probably uh, I I would still give the Tinkerbell movies the edge over this. What an opinion, you know, that I can have, <laughs> but they're they're OK. This movie in particular, like, again, the people working on it really had ideas about it. The animation was done by Disney's Japanese studio because at this time they had a ton of different uh, 2D animation studios all over the world so that again, Michael Eisner's big thing is we can constantly be making content. We can be releasing stuff every single year constantly. And when Michael Eisner heard the new Sherman Brothers songs, he apparently decided this should get a theatrical release. And I think just seeing the movie in general, he was like, wait a minute. This thing is turning out to be good. Let's put it in theaters. So this is the second theatrical release film of Winnie the Pooh.
1: And I think that this is the of these next few. I think this is the only one I've seen.
0: And again, it mostly has the New Adventures cast. Jim Cummings is both Tigger and Winnie the Pooh. And the storyline they came up with is, first of all, you know, the initial idea was, well, it should focus on Tigger because he's the fan favorite. And that's how we make these very cynical direct-to-video movies. But... They actually came up with an interesting story hook, which is Tigger is looking for his family. He's sad about being the only one, and so he wants to find other Tiggers. And so even though it's about Tigger, the tone of the movie is quite sad and quite dramatic. And it's really sold by that Gregson Williams score and the dual role of Jim Cummings, again, and the animation, because it really looks great. I have to say this movie truly looks great. As surprising as that is, the 2D animation is really good. The character animation is really, really good. At times, it looks better than the many adventures, because we've talked about how it's a little cheap and slapped together and it's the Xerox method. Like the Tigger movie looks surprisingly good as a movie. Tigger is a. I do like Tigger. I do. But again, he's not my favorite. And I think he's a hard character to structure a movie around because he's annoying, not in the sense that I find him annoying, but in the sense that his role in the Hundred Acre Wood cast is to annoy everyone else. So this movie is like everybody else is being nice to him and trying to help him. And it's, of course, very obvious that the final twist is going to be that they were his family all along. But he can't see it because he's just bouncing around and being crazy. And like they all write him a really nice letter from his family. And he interprets that as his family is coming tomorrow. And so then they all have to pretend to be his family and come tomorrow. And it's again, it's it's hard to sell this emotional story where it's like, Tigger, if you will just be quiet for two seconds, (laughs) you will see the movie happening around you. It's a a lot for a whole movie, and of course, not doing it as shorts like this film and not having more short adventures, but having very much a movie adventure where it's a single dramatic 90-minute story doesn't always work. The Sherman Brothers music is much appreciated and definitely the most memorable of any of the songs I heard in any of these spinoffs, but... Not their best work. You know, again, not up to this original movie, although it definitely is memorable. That's the thing. And it will get stuck in your head. There's also an original Kenny Loggins song, who, as I mentioned, released two albums of Winnie the Pooh music because I guess he's just a Winnie the Pooh fan. I don't know. It's so weird. (laughs) And actually, the Sherman brothers helped him write his song for the Tigger movie. So what a strange collaboration. But apparently the Shermans enjoyed doing it. So, okay. And uh, I'm going to admit something embarrassing. I'm going through a lot right now in life. You know this. We've alluded to this on the podcast. I'm moving. We're trying to bank up all these episodes. I feel very stressed all the time. Last night, before we watched the actual way, the Pooh movie, I watched a Tigger movie. I almost never cry at movies. I cry a lot in real life, but I almost never cry at movies. I can't believe it. I cried at the stupid Tigger movie.
1: It's okay.
0: I think it's just, and again, it's not a very good movie, but.
1: <laughs> it
0: hits you right
1: in the feels.
0: And I love these characters so much. And I'm in such a vulnerable emotional state. And Jim Cummings is such a good actor that he can imbue the line TTFE tata forever in the Tigger voice with such genuine pathos. <laughs> That is why he's a great actor. It totally got me. I totally cried. I can't tell if I'm crying again now or just sweating because it's so hot. (laughs) You know what? The Tigger movie, it's a qualified recommend for me. I can't believe how well that dumb thing holds up. And if you're an animation nerd, you will enjoy how good the animation is in it. So, of course, we had to follow that up with two bad theatrical sequels. The next one is Piglet's Big Movie, which I think is the worst of the three. It's so funny that, like... They're not trying to rip off the many adventures with all the Winnie the Pooh sequels. They're mostly trying to rip off the Tigger movie. (laughs) So obviously, Piglet's Piglet's big movie is the Tigger movie. But instead of Tigger being sad, he doesn't have a family. Piglet is sad because he's small.
1: On my Blu-ray of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, there is a segment called the mini adventures of Winnie the Pooh. M-I-N-I and they have just like two, three minute little segments of, most of them are from Piglet's Big Movie, where they take a song moment or a tiny little piece of the story. They're narrated by John Cleese. And he just is like, here's the one tiny little adventure that happened in the Hundred Acre Wood. And then at the end, he'll say, and that was resolved later. But that's another story, you know, <laughs> like so weird. That's it. Yeah. Such a weird little thing. There's about four of them from Piglet's big movie. And one of them is from the 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie. I just is like, these are the strangest little things. Why are you doing this?
0: One thing that is apparently in the books that I couldn't believe is that when Kanga and Rue move to the Hundred Acre Wood, Rabbit hates them. Yeah. And comes yeah. up he's, with a plan He's all to... nervous about them. I'm sure that's how it is in the book. In the movie, he hates them very much because they're different. And so he kidnaps Rue to use him to force Kanga to leave.
1: Uh-huh. And puts Piglet in her pocket as a substitute.
0: Right. So that's a tie in to Piglet, of course. Which again, I'm sure in the book it's probably more charming or whatever. In this, it plays as shockingly mean. It's like Rabbit A comes off like a bigot, and B kidnaps a child. Like it's quite dark. It's this movie in general is too mean, and it feels like it's trying to be too modern. There's a joke early on where Tigger is dressed in a costume, and he goes, "Does this make me look fat?" And it's like, "No, Tigger, don't. I don't need that kind of joke." You know, you want Winnie the Pooh to feel timeless, and this feels very dated. Uh, So this was a huge box office bomb, and uh, again, I hate it, but uh, Mm -hmm. did not deter them from making a third theatrical Disney Toons movie, which is Pooh's Heffalump movie. If the last one was too mean, this one goes the other way, where it's too sickly sweet. It's not funny at all. It's a very, very on the nose in the way that the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh never was metaphor for racism, because all of the Hundred Acre Wood characters hate and are afraid of the Heffalumps and all the Heffalumps hate and are afraid of the Winnie the Pooh characters. And they have to find out how to understand each other because Roo and a Heffalump named Lumpy become friends and
1: It's just not what you want at all. Yes, because you don't want the heffalumps to be real. No, the heffalumps are just the mysterious things in children's minds that they're afraid of. The real problem is that most of this movie is just
0: rue and lumpy, like being friends and hanging out. And then it's literally an hour into the movie, which is 68 minutes before credits before any of the other characters meet the Heffalumps. And then Rue's like, he's my friend. And they're all like, oh, okay, I guess we're friends just immediately. And it's like, no, all of the misunderstandings with Lumpy, I want like Winnie the Pooh to be there and Tigger to be there. Like, Mm -hmm. I want them to be interacting. This is, again, a problem that I really have with these spinoffs, even the Tigger movie, is that like, you know who I really enjoy? Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> He's relegated to a very low tier side character in all of these movies. And it's like, I would like them to be about Winnie the Pooh. I like him. That's the thing about him. Whoever your favorite character is, unless your favorite character is Rue, which is very strange. <laughs> Your favorite character is barely in this. It's it's very disappointing. And again, if the last movie leaned too much into the meanness, this one leans way too much into the saccharine sweet. It's it's cloying. It's ugh. at the end, I was like, is bigotry good?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you can watch all of them on Disney Plus. You can, and I did, and I don't recommend it. If you must, the Tigger movie is fine. So then there were a bunch of... They just continued this series with a bunch of direct-to-video sequels and shorts and more appearances of Lumpy. And I didn't watch any of that. You can keep all of it. (laughs) Then they decided, especially after uh, the animated show, that this should really be targeted towards younger kids. So like the CGI uh, Minnie and Mickey shows we've talked about, there are some CGI Winnie the Pooh shows for little ones that are they look so horrifying. Every screenshot I see of the CGI Winnie the Pooh is is it's
1: not good. Don't watch them. Or, you know, you could probably let little kids watch them just fine. They're Disney Junior.
0: Yeah, but you could also let little kids watch any of the other Winnie the Pooh media. (laughs) That's I'm surely better. Yeah. And then, of course, the 2011 movie, which neither of us have seen. Neither of us have looked up anything about. We are saving that because it is part of the animated canon. It is. We'll get there when we get there. And then after that, in the run of alarms, one was released called Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin is the best of the Delarms. It is the single best live action movie based on Disney animation. It is a great movie. I've been talking a lot and you are the one who actually rewatched it for this podcast. So I'll let you
1: take it away. Christopher Robin is such a good movie. So it is from twenty eighteen and it starts with the final scene they have in The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, where Christopher Robin is saying goodbye to Pooh and they have a child and Pooh acting out that whole thing. The animals are computer animated in this movie, mostly. They may occasionally be a physical stand in or whatever. Your brother doesn't like them because he thinks the colors should be brighter. Because, of course, the colors are very bright in the cartoon and they look more like actual stuffed animals. Right. That's what I like. Except for rabbit and owl who look like actual animals. Yes, (laughs) but that's
0: what I like about the CGI in this movie is that it's not like that Sonic the Hedgehog movie where it's a cartoon in the real world. They're not smooth. These look like things that could exist in the real world. And it communicates like this movie has a different tone. We are actually doing something different. We're not just doing Winnie the Pooh again. You know, it's a movie kids, especially older kids, could watch. But this is a grown up movie.
1: Yes, because. After that scene where Christopher Robin and Pooh say goodbye and Christopher Robin tells Pooh, you know, to come to this special place to remember him, then we see what happens with Christopher Robin as time goes on as he grows up. And they will occasionally see scenes of Pooh back in the Hundred Acre Wood missing Christopher Robin, but we're mostly seeing what has happened in his life. So he goes off to war he comes back, gets a job in a, as an efficiency expert in a luggage factory, and he has is having a hard time readjusting to life. He's dealing with the been at war trauma and having to try to provide for the family, but also take care of, you know, his workers at, at his job because he's a manager. So he's under a lot of stress. People are <laughs> under a lot
0: of stress, Bradley. He has genuine... <laughs> trauma and hardship that feels earned. It doesn't feel like, you know, oh, we're doing this edgy. It's like, no, if, you know, if he's, if he was alive in the time the original Winnie the Pooh stuff is set, this this is what that would be like. And again, it's really following up on the end of the many adventures where he has to leave Pooh behind. But of course, Pooh comes back into his life. He returns to the Hundred Acre Wood and he tries to find some joy in life again.
1: It's genuinely fun to see Pooh and his friends in the real world. And they are so true to the original characters. You feel like this is exactly how they would behave. Exactly. It is a Winnie the Pooh movie for you grew up with all this Winnie the Pooh stuff. Now you're
0: an adult trying to figure out adult life. Pooh is back to help you out as much as Christopher Robin. It is a new story. It is an original take on the characters down to the visuals. And it really just works. I know, obviously, in such a big way, like all the Disney stuff, it's playing on your nostalgia. But I'm lucky that I did not watch that movie yesterday instead of the Tigger movie, because if the
1: Tigger movie made me cry, Christopher Robin would make me weep. Yeah, because it has some really tug at your heartstrings moments, right?
0: It has really good writers working on it and writers who are mostly associated with really, really adult things. And so it's not like this is a movie kids can't enjoy, but they are, they know how to put real emotion into it and really elevate this.
1: Because it's about how Christopher Robin finds his joy again. Right, and it has this
0: message of the importance of doing nothing and like taking vacations and time off work it very explicitly ties it to labor and work and it's like a genuinely radical message you know like it, there's so many companies you know we've even seen it during the pandemic of like you always have to be working you can never take time off like i think it's a really really good message about the importance of listen you got to take time off if you're if you're burning out yeah it's it's a remarkable film i love it yeah so good The other thing I love about the Christopher Robin movie is that originally they were talking about uh, casting new actors to do the characters, but they don't do that. They instead let Jim Cummings play Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. They let Brad Garrett come back as Eeyore. Some of the other casting is new. I actually like Peter Capaldi as Rabbit. It sounds nothing like the original Rabbit, but... As I say, I don't think any other actor has been able to capture that. So I actually like going with we're just going to do something completely different because Junius Matthews is dead. You know, I I like the new cast, but I especially just love like Jim Cummings really gets to show you that even in 2018 and he's getting quite old these days and who knows how much longer he'll be able to keep voice acting and especially doing these voices. But like Christopher Robin feels like his movie Ewan McGregor as grown up Christopher Robin is also terrific in it. Yes, he is. And it feels like Jim Cummings in a voice booth is matching Ewan McGregor. <laughs> I, I I really, really am happy that they did that, because so many times when they do a big movie, especially big live action movie, they're like, oh, well, we have to recast. Right, it, right, right. Know?
1: No, they needed to get Jim Cummings, who is now the voice of Pooh to be Pooh, because he needs it needs to be poo, otherwise it's not gonna work. Oh yeah, if
0: it was a different voice, you know, if they did like they did with Sonic and were like, let's just get a comedian to do this, you'd be, it would be unwatchable. But even if they got someone else who could imitate Sterling Holloway, they can't get someone else who has lived with the character for decades.
1: And Richard Sherman, the sole surviving Sherman brother did come back and do two more songs for this movie.
0: There's a post-credit scene with him that is so lovely. It is. And so perfect. It is the perfect send-off to the last surviving Sherman brother. And it's such a cute little song. It's a genuinely good song, the I'm busy, busy, busy doing nothing. Mhm. What a good movie. Okay, so as always, especially when we're doing this many sequel spin-offs, I have to find some truly deranged stuff. <laughs> And because there's been so much Winnie the Pooh, there is some truly deranged stuff to pull from. So I have two different things I want to call out. One of them, have
1: you ever heard of Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue? Uh, Only in the list of the Winnie the Pooh franchise stuff, but I don't know what it is.
0: Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue was a 1990 short that was created by Roy E. Disney. That's not the Roy Disney we've been talking about. That's, I think, his nephew, Uh, but another member of the Disney dynasty who was in charge for a little while with the U.S. government. It was part of the violent and racist war on drugs implemented by Ronald Reagan, and it features all of your favorite cartoon characters of the 80s. It was released in 1990 teaming up to yell at you about drugs. It includes, among other characters, uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Alf, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, Garfield, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Kermit, Piggy, and Gonzo of the Muppet Babies, Slimer from the real Ghostbusters, several Smurfs, Michelangelo, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and both Pooh and Tigger. Of course, it's Jim Cummings coming back for those. This thing is one of the worst things that exists. It is such a downer. Obviously, again, the the war on drugs is a really, really bad thing that America has done. And the fact that this is part of this is a drag. Not that I'm saying kids should do drugs, which is all this is. You know, they get all these characters together, but there's no jokes in it. There's no fun. There's just a it's a PSA. It's a kid doing drugs and then all these cartoon characters yelling at him for doing that. I feel like Pooh is the worst, almost, inclusion in this, because I don't want to hear Winnie the Pooh talking about marijuana. The last thing you want Jim Cummings to say in the Winnie the Pooh voice is like, you know, oh, no, Kevin, whatever the stupid guy's name is, is doing marijuana. That's it's like, no, (laughs) I don't want to hear you say that word, Winnie the Pooh. It's so depressing that this exists. It's 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 horrible, but technically a Winnie the Pooh spinoff.
1: <sighs> Oof.
0: That's terrible. The other thing that's not as bad. I think it's funny. There was a game called Winnie the Pooh's Home Run Derby. <laughs> this was a 2008 Flash game on the Disney website. Yeah, right? Yeah, so Just yeah. a very simple game. I think it's got like two buttons. You know, uh, uh, there's not much to it, except that. It is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly difficult. (laughs) A
1: Winnie the Pooh game that's super hard.
0: It's super hard, despite the fact that it's very clearly aimed at young children. You're Winnie the Pooh and you're trying to hit baseballs, Uh but the pitchers all have different techniques for how they throw the balls at you and they throw them. Super duper fast. And so it's incredibly hard. And so in 2013, people realized this and then (laughs) it started to become a meme and a phenomenon in the gaming world. I'll quote a Kotaku article here. It's a game that's so difficult, you might just smash your monitor instead of the nice woodland creatures, you know and love. They've been replaced with rocket-armed beasts that would eat Randy Johnson with a side of honey. <laughs> Complex named it just about the most challenging thing you can ever imagine. Um, and so I was aware of this in 2013 and I played it and they are not kidding. This thing is so hard. I think I like barely got to Piglet, which is level three. I never got close to taking on... Christopher Robin, who is the final boss of the game. Oh my goodness. And there's so many jokes about him being like God incarnate. (laughs) So uh, I think this game is still playable somewhere. I mean, Flash doesn't exist anymore, (laughs) but I think there's an archive you can find of it. If you want to test your might against Winnie the Pooh's Home Run Derby, the hardest video (laughs) game of all time. Yeah, no thanks. It's so fun because like they absolutely just offshored this to like one programmer and were like, you have 20 minutes. Make us a game we can put on the site. And so they had no time to test it and <laughs> accidentally made it so hard. And it became a, a challenge for gamers who wanted to play something super hard. It's such a funny, again, like asterisk in the in the Winnie the Pooh saga. <laughs> <laughs> That is all we are going to talk about with the Winnie the Pooh franchise today. There's so much more. Maybe we'll come back to more of it in 2011. (laughs) But it it really did all start with this movie, these shorts. So,
1: Mom, would you recommend this movie and would you show it to a child? Definitely. This one's so easy to answer. Yes, 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 yes. yes. This movie is so good. Uh, I love it and it's perfect. I love it,
0: too. Even though it is so commercialized, there is something about it that just speaks directly to my heart. Something about, as you say, they were my actual toys. Like, yeah, they speak so profoundly to me. And it's actually been nice living in like Winnie the Pooh's world during, as I say, this this time in my life when I'm going through a lot of stress. But I I will love Winnie the Pooh always and this movie, as I say, is still probably the best incarnation of it. I love it. And of course, it's good for kids. Look at
1: me. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> Look at many generations of children. Yes. So that's going to do it for me, Mom the Mouse. If you have any questions about uh, Winnie the Pooh or any of the many spin-offs we didn't cover or anything Disney related, please send them in to the mailbag memommouse at gmail.com. That's M-E-M-O-M-M-O-U-S-E. And if you like the show, please come back next time for The
1: Rescuers, also released in 1977. What do you think of that movie, Mom? That is another one of my childhood favorites because I listen to the record for that one all the time. So until next time, I'm me. I'm Mom. And there's
0: Owl. (laughs) But most of all, it started with a mouse.